just, okay. <clears throat> there, there's nothing like spontaneous clapping and welcoming of the speaker after they were told to do it. So <laughs> I feel, I feel the, the commanded love. Thank you. Uh, so good to be with all of you today, uh, Crosswalk. Although I, I heard that uh, yesterday the name was changed to Sidewalk. Is this, is this true? Is this still true? <laughs> it was, very few of you caught it. Whatever. It was April Fool's yesterday, and Cherise and her team changed the name of Crosswalk to Sidewalk, and I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> on, the, on Instagram, go check it out. It's hilarious. Guys, I got to tell you, Ron Aguilera, this is, I don't know where, I don't know how it gets better here. This is going from what's above awesome. I mean, it, it is uh, such a win to get Pastor Aguilera, um, Pastor Ron, on your team, on your staff here. So things are about to get, I don't know, again, amazing, awesome. What's above that? It's great. The series is Beloved. We're going through the book of John. And I want to dive right in because um, we've got three chapters to cover. I'm only going to cover one. I'm not like Pastor Tom last week who, who did five chapters. That was absolutely amazing. It was a marathon. I'm not doing that. I just want to talk about Lazarus, chapter 11. Is that Okay. All right, let's do it. Let's jump right in. Now, John 11 begins, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. I'm going to pause here and just give a little quick introduction, quick introduction in case you didn't know who these people were. The book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, introduces us to this family. Jesus is close to them. He's spending a lot of time in Bethany. He goes by for meals all the time. We know that during one of those visits, we had this little scene play out where Martha, the organized person, the, probably the one that's got all the, paying all the bills and keeping the mortgage going, and she's in the kitchen making whatever, haystacks probably for the day. <laughs> Mary is in the living room listening. She's just sitting at Jesus' feet you know, enjoying it. And Martha comes out and you can immediately see the personalities. I love it. Martha comes out and says, hey, 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 what's going on here? You got to tell her, you got to tell Mary to come out and help me with the haystacks. You get, you know, come on. And Jesus goes, oh, no, no, we're going with what Mary's doing. So Martha, settle down. And so for, for 2,000 years, we're supposed to like Mary better, right? We're supposed to be more like Mary. I get that. And I want to be more like Mary, but Martha makes the most sense usually. Like someone's got to prepare the food. There you go. Okay. So, you know, so, <laughs> I, forget the, I forget the crosswalk is a bit of a heckling church. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not used to banter. Hey, okay. Well, they, <laughs> just, you, can, you can talk back all you want. I'll, I'm ready. I'm ready. Uh, so, so, yeah, this family Jesus knows really well. They're very close. He loves them. And John will tell us in a minute that he loves them, that Jesus loves this family. He's been there a lot. Now, Lazarus, the brother, is sick. And this is really significant in this culture. If the brother gets sick, the two sisters may end up without a male. This is patriarchal. This is the word of the Bible. They may end up without the person who sustains, supports the family. So this is, it's a serious situation. Verse 2. Parenthetically, by the way, this is how this verse is, is uh, included in our scriptures. The, this Mary, you know, we've talked about Martha, Mary, Lazarus. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Oh, 
John includes this little thing here, preparing us for the whole telling of the story, which we find in chapter 12. We're not going to, we're going to spend a whole lot of time there now, but this, this bears mentioning now because it's included in our narrative for today. This Mary is the one that poured perfume on Jesus and wiped it with, with her hair. What is going on here? Well, you know what's going on. This woman, Mary, enters the room. She's got a pint, is what uh, John calls it, a translation from the NIV, a pint of nard, an incredibly expensive substance that you would not just have laying around. Uh, you probably had to go somewhere where they, you know, where the merchants from the Far East are coming and, and dropping this stuff off. And if there's some available, you may get lucky. And if you have a year's worth of wages, which is how much she spent on that day, you would take this nard like she did, and then you would keep it and save it for an occasion that was important enough to use it. You wouldn't just show up to a party and spend the entire bottle, the entire container of nard in one go on one person's feet. It's crazy. I mean, you've got you've to conserve this stuff. Use it slowly and wisely. It's so expensive. And Judas names that immediately. He goes, hold on. Hasn't Jesus told us that we're here for the poor? He's been announcing the, the year Jubilee, and, the, and, and he has said over and over again that the poor are who we are supposed to favor Shouldn't we have sold that stuff? His heart was all messed up, by the way. That's why he was saying it. But some of the arguments he's making make a little sense. He says, shouldn't we have sold this and given the proceeds, the proceeds to the poor? And, you know, it, it kind of makes sense. But Jesus instead defends her and he says, no. She did what she had to do now in preparation for what I'm about to go through. She gave me what she had. Now, crosswalk, sidewalk family, <laughs> what's, what's the lesson in this? I, I think the lesson in this story, which we, by the way, find in Mark also, we find in other places, and the woman is a different person, and it, it kind of gets messed up with Mary Magdalene and Mary and Bethany, so we don't want to spend all our time there because what really is important is the, is the meaning, what we're supposed to learn from this moment is that, are you ready? Brace yourselves. Is that being conservative is a sin. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen all by myself. <laughs> Let's move on. Or should, should I explain what I mean? All right, let me say Otherwise, you're going to email me all week long. My email is tgillespie at Crosswalk if you want to meet him. <laughs> I'm, happy, I'm happy to respond. Lengthy emails back to you. I'm going to respond, so please, please feel free to email. Now, look, you, 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 you know what this means. It's not, let's be conservative with water. We're running out of it. Let's be conservative with gas. We're going to spend six bucks a gallon. I mean, let's all go out and buy Prii or uh, Teslas or whatever we're supposed to be driving now. That's super. Let's be conservative. With, let's be con if you want to be conservative politically, let's not get into that today. Theologically, be conservative. There's things that we should be, and it's okay to be conservative about. But when it comes to the blessings of God, the things that God has given us, being conservative is a sin. 
Now, we are to give like God has given to us in creation and in salvation. As one author puts it, Paul Tillich says, God gave to us prodigally, generously in creation, and then in salvation, dying on a cross for us. That was wasteful is how God has loved us. So then he says, uh, Paul Tillich says, uh, religion within the limits of reasonableness is a mutilated religion. You with me? And calculating love is not love at all. Have you ever been loved with a calculating kind of love? Like you don't really know exactly where you are, someone that says they love you, but you know they're calculating. Their love. That's not love at all is what Paul Tillich says. And how did, how did God love us? And how does God love us in creation wastefully? Now, I mean, look, look at creation. Why God? Why spend so much time, energy, and so much of the resources of this world growing with flowers that no one will ever see? Birds flying into, I mean, the whole of created order seems wasteful. Why God die on a cross for humans who are rejected? It seems wasteful. Then why would we live in such a way that seems conservative and protecting everything that God has given us generously? That's to give. It's to give. Every blessing God has given us is to give. You know why I love this church? I love this church because, well, first of all, I was sitting there watching the screen right here. I actually remember that. I remember when we decided to buy it. That it was right as the pandemic was beginning. <laughs> and we thought, well, we'll just get it now and we'll be able, we will not be able to use it for a month or two. <laughs> and I remember someone in the meeting saying, well, that seems like a lot. It's very expensive. It seems wasteful. And we said, yes, it does. <laughs> but we're that kind of church. <laughs> yeah, I know. And isn't it amazing? I mean, I, every time I step in here now, I go, wow, God is good. <laughs> Someone was asking me the other day, you guys give the coffee away? I was like, yes, we do. It's our nard. We just hand it out. <laughs> Why? Because here's the deal. It's because Jesus said, if you're willing to give it to me, you'll have no problem giving it to the poor. Because the way you give to me reveals the condition of your heart. And if you're willing to give it to me, if you've had such an experience with me, such a transformative relationship with me that you know everything you have is a blessing from me. You'll have no problem giving it to me or giving it to the poor. That is the point of this, of this scene. So let's not, let's not be conservative. Let's give wastefully. Go home today. Use the china. <laughs> I mean, even if what you're having is haystacks, just pull the china out. Just do it. And if one breaks, if you're one of your, your people watching or your kids breaks one, just go, whatever. It's just China. We're using it because it's not to have. It's to use. Go, go to the parking lot. If you drove a car and you have car seat covers in your car, rip those off of the car seats. <laughs> what is the point of preserving a car seat that's eventually just going to go to the junkyard? 
Go home. If you've got anything at home that you're saving, it's in the freezer for a special occasion. Today is a special occasion. Use it. I, I think people clapping are giving themselves permission. Something's going on. We should have, <laughs> we should have sharing time. What's going on, everybody? What are you keeping at home? That you should, say, 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 I love you more. Text it to the people that you love. Is there a family member that hasn't heard you say that to them? Why would you conserve that? What point is there? Well, let's move on, shall we? Before, yeah, let's move on. Um, verse 3, there's 44 verses. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> we'll skip some. Projectionists, just projectionists, follow me. Uh, let's buckle up and see if we can get through. So the sisters, verse 3, sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. They could have said Lazarus, but instead they chose to say, it's, more, it's the one you love is sick. Verse 6, let's, let's skip to verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Now, you just heard that the one you love is sick. Why wouldn't you go now? Oh, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed for two more days. And then verse 7 says, and then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, the disciples were like, hold, hold, hold on, hold on. Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going back now? Uh, and Jesus answered, verse 9, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by, the, by this world's light. Verse 10, it is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Well, that makes it perfectly clear. Are we going or not? What does that even mean, Jesus? We're not going to spend time on that because it's actually confusing. Verse 11, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. Verse 12, his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Because that's what you're supposed to do when you get a cold. Sleep, drink lots of water. And uh, they didn't understand what he was talking. 13, just, yeah, Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. Verse 14, so he told them very plainly, no, he's dead. Sometimes I'm not speaking in metaphors. Sometimes I'm actually telling you what happened. Lazarus is dead. Verse 16, then Thomas, I love this, Thomas, also known by his stage name, DJ Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, get this, let us also go that we may die with him. Jesus just said, we're going to go and we're going to wake Lazarus up from his sleep, which is actually death. And Thomas Didymus says, let us go. Let's all go die with him. What a man of faith. I love it. I love it. Verse 20, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Martha, here's, again, we're back to these personalities. Mary is disappointed in Jesus, so she stays home. She's not going to go meet him. 
Martha hears that he's coming. What does she do? She leaves the house, walks out to the edge of the village, Bethany, and she waits for him. And you can just imagine what she's actually, like her attitude when Jesus walks up to her. Hey, hey. Yeah, good to see you. Welcome back to Bethany. Yeah, yeah, it's good to see you, but it would have been really good to see you three days ago. Did you get my message? It was Lazarus, the one you loved. Oh, you'll come for the haystacks, but there's no haystacks this time, buddy. <laughs> Where were you, Jesus? That is her question. And it, and, it is, and it is a fair question to ask. Where were you, Jesus? Two days late? You knew he was dying two days late? This is when you choose to show up? Where were you, Jesus? And I'll tell you what, you may be very disappointed with the fact that it's really hard to find an answer that is satisfying. I mean, you scour the commentaries and everyone's got their own opinion on, as to why Jesus didn't show up. I mean, commentaries that I like say, well, it was chronology. We're not... We're, God is not tied to our chronology or our schedules. God will show up whenever God wants them. Death means nothing to God because he's above it. He is, as we'll say in a moment, the resurrection and the life. So when he shows up, it doesn't matter, but it still matters to me because I want to know, Jesus, where were you when I called you? When I was witnessing this pandemic ravaged the body of someone that I love. Where were you? Where were you, Jesus, when we called you and we said, hey, Ukraine, you may want to pay attention, Jesus. When are you going to show up? When it's too late? Where were you, Jesus? When my family was falling apart, when my relationship was falling apart, where were you, Jesus, when I was in pain? Where were you when I was being abused? Where were you, Jesus? Why are you showing up late? I think Martha has it. Martha has it. I like that, Martha. Martha says things that we think about, but we don't actually say out loud. I love, I love her for that. And you know, you know Jesus doesn't even answer. He doesn't, he doesn't choose. He chooses not to engage her in that question about his tardiness. Um, he simply moves on to what he's going to do now. And I think... Look, I think the takeaway from that moment, from that awkward, hey, she comes out to the edge of the, the city to confront Jesus on the fact that he did not come when they called him. The grace in this, I believe, is that Jesus can handle our questions. For now, that's going to have to suffice, that God can handle our toughest questions, our toughest complaints, that even Jesus on the cross is shouting out at God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So it must mean that it's okay to come to God and say, I don't get it, man. Why, why are we, where were you? Where are you right now? And, I, and now Jesus then offers a little bit of hope. He says, verse 22, but I know, but this is Martha still talking, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. So there is this amazing but, the disruptive conjunction that actually brings some hope to the situation. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Verse, verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answers because she knows, you know, she's, 
She's, she's heard the, the teachings of the Pharisees, so she knows, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I know that. And I know that, and you know that. And every time you've said goodbye to someone that you love, you know that, but it still hurts right now. And Jesus says to her, says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And I love this I am statement. We've had plenty of I am statements in John. We've had, I am the light of the world. I've had, I am the gate. I am the shepherd. I am the vine. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's one moment when Jesus says the big I am. In, in chapter 8, he says, when they're confronting him about, about who he thinks he is, he goes, well, I am, period, that's it. Making the, you know, the claim to Exodus. When God says to Moses, tell the Pharaoh that I am sent you. Jesus is either very blasphemous or he is who he says he is. And at this moment, he says the thing that I have needed to hear over and over again, especially in the last few months, I am the resurrection and the life, Martha. It's not just about this moment, Martha. It's about eternity. It's about cosmic. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the one who's going to put a stop to the death cycles. I'm going to put a stop to this suffering. You've got to trust me on this. So they all go. They go to the tomb. Right? And, I'm, and I'm going to skip to verse 35 where we see Jesus in his moment in this, in this two-word description that connects us to the Savior in a way that we've not been connected to him before. This two-word verse, by the way, verses are our idea. We came, up with, we came up with a way to split verses and chapters. The Bible was not written that way, but when this decision was made to leave these two words as they, as they are, it was brilliant because they are so simple but so dense with meaning. Jesus wept. And what does that mean? What does that mean that the creator of the universe, who just said, I am the resurrection and the life, like I can see beyond the grave that you can't see past. What does it mean that he who has claimed to be the one who was from the beginning and has no end that he is standing there with these people, weeping. And the Greek word, by the way, that John chooses is not the paid-to-weep one. It's like, the, it's like the ugly crying weeping. I think it's because Jesus loved them. And I think it's because forever we will know that Jesus understands our suffering. I think it's John trying to explain to us Jesus intimately is acquainted with your pain. He knows what it's like to lose someone. He knows what it's like to feel that emptiness. The, the, the horror of grief and the sorrow, Jesus knows it. He knows it. So let's get to the good part, shall we? Verse 41, then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Verse 41, so they took away the stone. Jesus said, take away the stone. By the way, I find it hilarious that Jesus is about to bring back to life a human, but yet he has to have help getting the stone out of the way. 
seems like Jesus, if you, get, if you can do that one thing, you could probably just go back to that stone. But he asked for help doing that. And then he prays, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you have sent me. And then, and then it happens. When you said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And there's a day. There's a day when Jesus will call the name of the person that you're thinking about right now. And Jesus will call your name and my name because he's the resurrection and the life. I imagine that that weak amen that just was uttered in this room right now will one day, <laughs> when we're in the courts of heaven, maybe a little heartier amen. I mean, he's repeated. He said, that uh, one day Jesus will say in a loud voice, like he said on that day in Bethany, come out. And he's going to say that to every grave and every place where we've left our loved ones. He's going to say that. And everyone on that day will rise like Lazarus did on that day because the resurrection and the life has spoken. Now, okay. Now, I do want to, I want to end on this, because I have an overactive imagination. What did, what was Lazarus' life like after that? I mean, we only hear him mentioned again in, in, in chapter 12, and he's sitting there reclining when his sister comes in and, you know, and she wastes all that nard. Now we know what that means. Uh, what was Lazarus' life like after that? Can you imagine him telling his story? What, did he change in any way? I got a call once about a decade ago. Uh, someone called me and said, um, hey, my husband is dying in the hospital. I've just been told by his medical professionals he's not going to make it through the night. So would you please go and pray with him? I said, I don't really know who you are. And the person said, well, but my husband does. He's seen you up front, and he likes you, and he connects with you. Would you please go and pray with him. And I said, absolutely, I'm a pastor. That's what I do. I'm a pastor. I went to his room, and, and when, I, when I got there, it was evening, and there was no one in the room. Everyone had left already for the evening. Maybe they had already said their goodbyes. And so I went inside, and I sat next to him. I'm going to call him Ron today. I sat next to Ron, and he was unconscious. So I held his hand, and I spoke to him, and I prayed with him. And I said, things like you've heard today, I've said, Ron, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And in these last few moments of your life, are you prepared to face what comes next? Have you given your life to God in such a way that you're prepared to meet him with joy and, and your heart? And, and having said these things, you know, he didn't answer because he was unconscious. So I... Um, I prayed for him, and I, and I left. Um, a week later, I got, I got an email, and it, and it began like this. Sam. There was no pastor, no deer, just Sam. This is Ron. I am alive. <laughs> and then he said, I, and yes, I heard everything you said. Despite the, verbatim, despite the fact that you did, you did not pray for my healing... 
You were like the angel of death. I'm coming to talk to you in your office tomorrow. <laughs> I said, oh, crud. Um, so I, I prepared for an awkward meeting. He didn't say when he was arriving, so I spent a whole day just stressed out. Like, <laughs> told everyone around me, hey, there's a guy coming. He may not be happy, so just, everyone just kind of loiter around here in case I need protection. Uh, he arrived, and, and he decided to begin the meeting without actually going into the privacy of my office. He went out to do it in the little section outside of the office where we all gathered. And, and he, was, he was direct. He was like, hey, you're a pastor. You're supposed to pray for healing, not for, like, like the farewells. Like, this is, uh, I was like, yep, 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 got it. But your wife, it was, I'm trying to throw the wife under the bus. I'm like, but your wife said it was, a, and I didn't, uh, anyway. So he was like, well, I'm alive now. So, so then he said, how can I help? I said, help? I what do you mean? And he goes, I don't know. What do people around here need? And some students smart out and go, food! Because that's what students always need is food. <laughs> they need sleep and they need food. So he goes, all right, next week I'll be back. I'll bring food. I'm like, wow, that worked out better than I thought it was going <laughs> to. The next week he shows up with three big bags full of, full of Pop-Tarts and ramen. <laughs> he said, I Googled it. This is what they eat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then for a decade, every week, he would come and he would spend more and more time and eventually he became like the office grandpa and, and he would bring more than ramen and Pop-Tarts, he would bring fruit from his trees and he would bring gift card. When he began bringing gift cards, I began to get really concerned because I mean, he was handing out hundreds of dollars in gift cards every single week. And one day I was like, Ron, um, listen, I don't, this is super presumptuous. I don't want to offend or you know, presume on your finances, but can you afford this? And his response was, it's to give. It's not to have. Bonus, I'm in bonus time. And every blessing that I have is to give, not to keep, not to hoard. I wonder if that's how Lazarus lived the rest of his life. I wonder if Lazarus just walked around Bethany, Jerusalem, just saying, whatever I have belongs to Jesus, and whatever belongs to Jesus belongs to everybody with a heart full of generosity and forgiveness and love for everyone. Can you imagine getting that? What if we're now living in our second chance? What if we began, I'm looking, I'm looking at some of you. Some of you have a very short second chance. You know, some of you have a very long one. <laughs> what, if we, what if we treated from this moment on our lives as if we were also rescued by Jesus from death? And the fact is that we are, and we have been. The resurrection and the life has spoken into our lives and has said, come out. Come out of whatever cave you're hiding in and spend every gift I've given you, the gifts that I've given you in creation and salvation and prodigally, I give you so much. Spend it. It's not, it's not to keep. It's not to have. It's to, it's to give. 
Jesus, thank you for this word from John. You are the resurrection and the life, and some of us need to hear that word of hope today. Uh, and, I, and I pray that we may live like people who you've called out out of whatever life of death and misery and life of guilt or unforgiveness or whatever thing you've called us out of, that you may call us out into a life of generosity and beauty to live like you have given to us wastefully. I pray that, God, in your son's name. Amen.